Amen. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Murray. Thank you, choir. Taking me to the throne. I know that if you wanted to, to go into God's presence, this is a good place to be this morning through music. Thank you, guys. I've always said I don't hate talented people. I just don't always understand them. But it's good to have them here taking me to see the Lord through music. Amen. You can go ahead and turn your Bibles again back to uh, Isaiah chapter 49. While you're doing that, I'd like to lead us in prayer. Father, we praise you now for this time you've given us together. We acknowledge, Lord, that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and there is no other God but you. We ask in Jesus' name today now, Lord, that you would have your way in this reading and this, uh, this declaring of your word. Father, uh, may I disappear. May you speak clearly through your word to our hearts and souls, and may we be changed when we leave this place. We love you, Father, or we wouldn't be here today. But we ask that we would leave here loving you more than we ever have before. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Amen. We are going to be reading in Isaiah 49 in just a moment, so just hang on to that. It's so good to be with you again at First Baptist Church in Selma. Got saved while I was a member of this church, March 15, 1980. And my wife Sandra down here had a huge part in that. Uh, you saw a couple of our grandkids there that were sitting with her earlier. And uh, I'm not going to start on grandkids, but they're pretty good ones. And we got a, a few more and had a great time with them the last couple of nights. But uh, uh, just let me tell you that this is the place that the Lord called us out of, out of uh, well, being the happiest guy in Dallas County at Bush Hog every day I went to work. And uh, I'm so thankful that I had a foundation laid here. I've said that last time I preached here, I'm going to say it next time I preach here. It means so much to me to be here with you worshiping in this place. There's not too many corners of this building I don't have many uh, wonderful memories about. And through and even at the, the top of the steeple where me and Wes Patterson and a few other folks uh, took trips to. And I don't advise it if you're scared of heights. I would never do it again. I'm smarter now, but I did make five or six trips up there just for your information. Name is written up there every time. I want to make an observation. Y'all may or may not agree with me, but if you look around in the world today, I'm just going to tell you this world has gone off the rails. We have absolutely gone crazy. Everywhere you look, it sounds like something that is stranger than the day before is going on. Would you agree with that? And it's hard to understand it sometimes, but it's really not that hard to understand it if we consider that hundreds of millions, I would say billions of human beings on this earth are worshiping things that are made out of material. You imagine that? It sounds strange. It's been going on since the, the earliest days on this earth, but that's what they do even now here in the 21st century. L let me just tell you, in, uh, in uh, Jeremiah chapter 10, verses uh, 3 through 5, I, you don't have to turn there, but I'll just sum it up for you. It says, back then, just like it is now, customs of the peoples are worthless. They'll cut a tree out of the forest, hand it to a guy who knows how to work with it, and he'll make something out of it, put some metal on top of it, and it, it, they have to nail it down so it won't tip over, and they have to carry it everywhere it goes. Don't fear those. Don't fear those idols. They do nothing. With, with, with some of the wood they use to make this idol, they warm their home with. With some of the wood that they use to make these idols, they cook their food with. They can do you no harm, but they cannot do you any good. 
Then in Psalm 115, 4 through 8, sum this up for you. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, David says. They're made by the hands of men. They've got mouths, they can't speak. They've got eyes, they can't see. They've got ears, but they can't hear. They've got noses, but they can't smell. They have hands, they can't feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk nor utter a sound with their throat. Verse 8, Psalm 115, 4 through 8, not too long ago I read for the first time for the thousandth time. The Lord writes through David, those who make them will be like them. And so will all of those who trust in them. You make the idol, you become like that worthless, powerless idol. That's a theme that we'll go over a couple of times here. I used to see these types of passages and I saw them in the context of of David and Jeremiah and Isaiah and others who call down these, these kinds of worship, meaningless worships of nothing, of the creation. But then everything changed for me when one day God brought it into the way I see it. Not the way the folks in India see it. Not the way the folks in Kazakhstan see it. But the way I see these worthless idols as they are called out by the words of Scripture. I try to, by God's grace, I see it in my own context. And it not only scared me, but it woke me up. And I hope today that it'll wake you up as well. I don't worry that it changed everything. I don't worry that those nations out there who worship blocks of wood and things made of porcelain and china and, and all these, these materials that they fashion with their own hands and that they carry around because they can't walk. I don't worry that none of those people will come to Christ because I have the promise of Almighty God in Revelation 7, 9 and other places that if we take the gospel of Christ to them, as was just talked about a minute ago and just sung about a second ago, if we take the gospel of Christ crucified, buried and resurrected, they will come out. Because we have the promise of Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 that every nation, every tongue, every tribe all over this world, when we get to heaven, those of us who are born again in Christ Jesus, when we get to heaven, we will see people from every one of those, those people groups. Isn't that wonderful? We're going to have a great family up there. All of us who are in Christ. If we take the gospel to them. What does concern me is that my idols, and I've got them. And our idols, and we've got them, that those will preoccupy our hearts. They will preoccupy our time. They will become our priorities, and they will render us powerless in this vapor of a life that is here so quickly and gone so even more quickly. Y'all remember when you were this age, don't you? I've got memories of being this age and of these kids that were up here earlier and younger. And it just seemed like it went so fast. Like the old folks used to say, the older you get, the quicker it goes. They weren't lying, were they? Well, every day is important, eternally important because of that. Because we never know when the, our last day is coming. But it is. I don't want to be, and I don't want you to be, preoccupied with idols and therefore have a life of no power for the Lord. The Bible, just like the God who made it, is countercultural to our world. We have to understand that. It's going to call us to things. He is going to call us to things and actions that are not in agreement with everything that's out there. 
that everything that is vying for our attention and say, come follow me. This is a great thing to do for the rest of your life, but it's temporal. And one day it's going to go away. That's a promise. Only the word of God and the souls of men are on this earth now that are going to be here in eternity. I worry and I get concerned that uh, I'm going to take my culture, my American dream, and I'm going to sprinkle Christianity lingo over it and I'm going to call it holy. I'm worried that I'm going to call that Christianity because it has Bible words mixed in with it. And like Keller said, Tim Keller said, I'm going to be more influenced by my culture than I am the word of God. And I'm going to be more influenced by my culture than I think I am. You know, you aim a laser beam at the, at the moon and you hit it dead center. And then you move it, you cut it off and you move it about one degree over. Just one degree. And then you aim it toward the moon and you shoot again. You're going to miss it by thousands of miles. All we have to do is disagree or add to or subtract from the word of God and we're going to find ourselves way, way off track. God doesn't want that for you. That shouldn't be a conviction to you unless you want to be away from the track of God that he gives you in the word of God. And I know that you wouldn't be here today if that's what you want to do. We all want to avoid that at all costs. At all costs. I worry that I will be drawn again today as I was lured yesterday and the day before I'll be lured toward money I'll be lured toward personal safety I'll I'll, I'll take the traditions of men in the past and and I'll hold them up as an idol and I'll worship them and I'll follow them these little g gods that we can follow so easily and we're wired to that's our default setting I worry that I will do that these thorns that Jesus talks about in the, uh, the parable of the souls, the thorny ground that will choke out the good seed of the gospel and choke out the great commission. Well, with that said, let's look at Isaiah 49 again. Isaiah 49, 1 through 5. <clears throat> I just want to, I'll sum it up as my dear brother's already read it uh, better than I could. But he warns them. He says to them, look, this is what God built me for. In verse 2, he made my mouth, God made my mouth, Isaiah speaking, the great prophet that was ignored for 60-something years, ignored by Israel, and it cost them the kingdom when the Assyrians overran them. They wouldn't repent of their, their idolatry. And he said, he made my mouth a sharpened sword. He said, you are my servant. I'm going to display my splendor through Israel as you lead them back to me. He told me what is due to me in the Lord's hand, and it's my reward. And now the Lord says in verse 5 that he formed me in the womb, my mother's womb, to be his servant. For one reason, to bring Jacob back to him. I'm honored in the eyes of the Lord. God has been my strength, he says. But he doesn't stop there. Isaiah knew these people. These were his people. Most of us in here are from somewhere around here. Some kind of stones throw away from here. I understand this culture, right? And you do too. This is our Jerusalem. And we know how to reach out to our people. We know what's important to them. He reached out to them for decades and, and they didn't listen to him. I'm so thankful that God has called us all who are here now to, and have been from Selma in this area to, to know who, who it is we're reaching out to. 
And like Isaiah, we understand the issues. We understand the temptations. We understand the strongholds. And our culture is much like Israel. You ever thought about it? We're a lot like Israel. What was Israel saying all this time? We're fine. Me and God, we're good. I, I've talked to very few people in, in Dallas and, and Perry and West Lowndes County in our association that are just like, I'm a wretched sinner, a worm, and I need to repent of my sin. I've, I've talked to almost no one like that. Most people are like, me and God are good. There's not one bit of evidence in their life in keeping that there's repentance in keeping with repentance. Uh, rather, there's no evidence at all, but we're good. Because this is me we're talking about. We're just like Israel in that respect. It didn't look good on Israel, brother, sister. It's not going to look good on you. And the result will be the same because we have to stand before the same God. God becomes a list of rules. Most of the time, rules that I agree with and that are very easy for me to keep. He's not hard at all. He's very convenient. I can keep him in my back pocket, whip him out anytime I want to, put him back in when I don't need his presence, and go on about my life and say, all is well with me and the Lord. It's wonderful that God created Isaiah for Israel. And it's great that he created us for our Jerusalem. He wants us to be a lighthouse <clears throat> to our Jerusalem. But there is no way we're meant to stay that way. Look back at Isaiah now in verse 49. And I want to read verse 5 again, and then I want to read verse 6. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. And I'm just honored in the eyes of the Lord. And my God has been my strength. Verse 6, he says, It is too small a thing. For you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I also want to make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. God told Isaiah, reaching Israel alone, though that is what he was built for, what he was born for, it is too small a thing. Don't settle for it. Do it. Don't ignore it. But you cannot ignore the greater call that I have given you. Don't settle for something that is too small. I don't know who wrote it, but it was a cute little poem, but it made a lot of sense. Embrace the king, the God of all, and never again the things too small. Oh, God has called us to reach Jerusalem. And if you weren't aware of it, we're doing that now in a, as far as the association. You'd love it. Some of you have already tasted of it. We've been going into two of our four housing projects uh, over the last eight weeks, and we had a block party at one of them, had seven people get saved. We're setting up Bible studies there, and then we're going to go to the other two major housing projects and start prayer walking for eight weeks, seven or eight weeks, praying with the people in their community, praying for them during the week, going to see them again the next week. I promise you won't be bored. It's interesting. Okay, our Jerusalem is not the same all over our Jerusalem. But the Lord is moving mightily, and we need to do that. We need to reach our Jerusalem, but we can never lose the bigger picture. God has called you to reach Selma. Amen? He has. We can't ignore that. It's very obvious. He, he, in eternity past, he put us here. 
And this is where we are, and that is what we're to do. But we cannot stop there. And you say, and I, I ask this all the time, how can you be sure of that, Brother Lee? How can you be sure that, that, that he wants us to do more than that? I have the last words of Jesus documented in the Word of God in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. The last words he ever said. And it's documented in Scripture. And so we want to make sure that we remember that he called us to go to our Jerusalem, yes, but then all of Judea, all of Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. To go, to pray, and to send. Not all of us in this building right now are called to go to Turkmenistan. But there are people called to go there. All of us are called to send them there. Amen. All of us are called to send, send them there. I remember uh, when my sister was about five years in uh, Kenya as an IMB missionary. Uh, I asked somebody one time if, if they wanted to go, and they said, no, absolutely not. And uh, I knew this particular person, and it wasn't somebody here, but I said, uh, hey, Lottie Moon's coming up. You, uh, you planning on writing a big check? He said, well, I mean, I'll throw something. I mean, I'll, I'll put something in. I'll, I'll find some change. I said, I tell you what, why don't you just save that change and you go on over to Kenya so my, my sister can come back home. She'd already been attacked a couple of times. I said, why don't you go serve for her and then we'll write you a puny little check. Look, if you're not called to go, you are called to send. Period. Amen. And we have that great pleasure. God doesn't need any of our money, but he wants it all on the table. He wants us to send and be faithful in doing that. Perry and Dallas County are wonderful and we must reach them. But they are too small a thing for us who are churches in the West Central Baptist Association. It's too small for First Baptist Selma, the great church, the, the very first Baptist church, as uh, my friend Bill Byram always says. Verse 6. He says it's too small a thing for you to go. To be my servant, rather, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I've kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. And I like this right here, and this word jumped out at me at 3D as a 3D word when I read it one time. That you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth, so that you may bring it to me. My spirit is here waiting on you. To that place that the gospel has never penetrated. I'm there. It's not like I'm not allowed there. I'm always there. I built it. I'm sustaining it. Every soul that is in that, that tiny town, that little, that evil town, that, that violent town that's in, uh, uh, outside of Karachi, Pakistan, where, where if you say the word Jesus, you're going to get stoned to death. I am there. My spirit is already there waiting for you. You bring my gospel here and my spirit will fall upon you. If you honor my word by coming, if you honor your faith in me by going or sending to those places, I will anoint your message. I will anoint your messenger. Souls will be grabbed out of the fire of hell, set, us, set free for heaven, and then set free to serve me all the days of their life, no matter how short or long they may be in that place. You bring your gospel, to, my gospel to me, and I will deliver everything you need. You just bring it. Oh, the Lord will build his church, brothers and sisters. Amen. He told Peter that. Oh, on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
I always say this too because it's so easy for me and you to forget. Hell cannot stop the church. Hell cannot stop the gospel. Amen? He is not powerful enough to stop the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified, resurrected, and coming again. There's only one thing that can stop the church from taking the gospel to every place on this, from Carver Housing Project to wherever the project is in the middle of New Delhi, India. There's only one thing, but that one thing is powerful, and it can stop the gospel in its tracks. You know what that is? I'm looking at it. The church and the church alone can stop the gospel. Isn't, isn't that a revelation, yet a horrifying revelation? The devil can't stop the gospel, but I can. As a pastor, as a preacher, I can stop it dead in its tracks. If I will not share the gospel with anyone, I'll stop it right there. If I will not go to these places that he's called us to in his word, clearly, the most clear command of Jesus, the Great Commission, I can stop it in its tracks. I am powerful enough to do that. I just, I'm going to write 20 bucks to Lottie Moon. This is my favorite time of year. Not just because of Christmas, though that's, that's true. I love Lottie Moon. I love that gift that, that we get to give. I pray that you're already praying about that. Encourage you to do that. To give like you've never given before. Give sacrificially. Whatever God puts in your mind, you think God is leading you to do, go ahead and double it and then start praying how much you should give. If it doesn't scare you, if there's no risk, was the Holy Spirit present? He always calls us out of where we are comfortable. He will always do that. Or would you prefer to stop the gospel? Do you want to answer for that? This isn't a threat. I'm trying to help. I, my, my biggest call here as, a, as somebody behind a pulpit is to prepare you to stand in front of God and give account, as you will, without exception, without excuse, and without escape. All of us will do that. So what he has put in our hands and what he has put in our bodies with strength and age and whatever, we want to use it for his glory. Don't stop the gospel. You wouldn't like that. Of course you wouldn't, and we don't have to do it. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, it kind of concludes that great book, book of wisdom by saying that all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. It's the clearest command of God through his son, the Lord Jesus. Take my gospel to the nations. We, have, we were born here. Uh, after the last nine weeks, I realized I could have been born and be living about six blocks that way. At Carver. That could be you. That could be me. It is real people. Or even worse, he has given us so much. Amen. How many times have we said, I am so blessed of God? I won't ask you to raise your hands. We've all said it a thousand times, and we are, and for a good, great purpose. To not stop the gospel in its tracks, but to grease the tracks, to set them on a downhill straight course to where the gospel moves in power as the crucified Lord who was raised from the dead and is coming back again gave it to us. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Brothers, sisters, I, most people who profess Christ, and I've been guilty of it. I don't want to be guilty of it today, though. 
We settle for things that are too small, as Isaiah writes about here. Too small a thing. And they go to their graves having never repented of ignoring the clearest command of Christ. It's a rhetorical question. Is that how you want to live or die? Of course not. Fear God. Keep his commandment of the Great Commission. Acknowledge the worthiness of our king to do just that. To give sacrificially. To, to be an unashamed witness for the gospel. The, I, these two little grandkids that were with me, love them. I'll brag about them, about them to you all day long. But they did not save me. Christ saved me. How can I be unashamed of the one who would die for my sin? Acknowledge his worthiness. Live with your last day in mind. Reach the world with the greatest news there's ever been. Jesus saves. If not you, who? And if not now, when? Oh, friends, let's, let's max out this wonderful life God has given to us. Let's live for Jesus. Let's go. Let's send. Let's pray. Let's live with the end in mind for the glory of Almighty God through his son, the Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you now that we've had the opportunity to look into your word. We praise you. Uh, like you, it never changes. We thank you, Father, that the things that, uh, well, I thank you for him and I thank you for her that are in this place today. I thank you for me that is in this place today that, that is uncomfortable with some of the things that you command us and that you are worthy of. But God, we ask in the name of Jesus now that you would help us to, to just die to ourselves as you command us. That we would just give everything back to you, put everything on the altar. You know what we need. You know when we need it. You know how we need it to come to us. Oh, God Almighty, you are worthy of your, your son's gospel, and we want to spread it. Use First Baptist Church to show the rest of us in West Central Alabama, in all of Alabama, in all of the United States, and all over the world, what it means to understand the Great Commission and to live in a way that reflects it. Oh, God, bless these dear souls in this place today. Now, Father, if there's anyone who doesn't understand anything that we're talking about today and doesn't know Jesus, knows a lot about him, but doesn't know him, we pray in Jesus' name that your Holy Spirit would convict them greatly right now. Convict them of their sin. Show them the, the road to re repentance and salvation by faith in Jesus as a sacrifice for their sins. Oh, Lord, don't let anything stop them. Don't any, let anything hold them back. If there's fear, Father, calm their nerves. If there's an unwillingness, break their will, Father, for, the, for Jesus' sake and for theirs. We love you, Lord. We pray that you would use our time together to help us love you more. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.